Uh, today we're looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, verses 17 to 24. And it's a great text of Scripture. Uh, it's variously called, and I actually looked and I found another individual who called their sermon this, Bloom Where You Are Planted. It's a text or it's a, uh, a saying that many of us understand and know. It's an encouragement to us to make the best of the situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, I like the word flourish uh, a little better than bloom. And because this whole text is about being called, uh, I've called what we're talking about today, flourishing where you are called. I like both of those ideas of bloom and flourish because uh, to bloom means more than just simply plant something in the ground. Uh, to, to plant something in the ground is not enough. You need to water it. You need to nourish it. You need to fertilize it so that it grows. And if it's a flower, it just develops into a beautiful flower. I was over chatting with my neighbor the other day and uh, looked in at the side of his house. He had these just gorgeous, gorgeous red roses that were blooming. And uh, he actually cut a bunch off and gave them to me to give to Kathy. And I did say they were from him. But they were gorgeous, um, these, these red flowers that were blooming. Uh, but also we think of flourishing. To flourish means that something grows luxuriantly. It means that it's healthy and it's, uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's flourishing. Uh, it also can describe something of being a success. And so that's the point of what Paul is getting at in this text. It's going to be working around some of the issues that he's already talked about. But the, the point and the goal is what he's trying to say is, listen, God has called you in a certain context, in a certain place, at a certain time. Bloom where you are planted. Flourish where you are called. Uh, he's talking about flourishing in the situation or the position that God has called you. It's helpful to have a little bit of a broader understanding of what the Scripture says about these sorts of things. And there's a few texts that I, I thought I would just give by way of um, sort of a big picture to us. Uh, the first one is from Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 26 and following. And this is Paul talking to uh, some people who had never heard the gospel and helping them understand the context that they have in the world. And so he says to them, uh, speaking of God, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. So a general statement about all mankind, that God made them and they're to live on the face of the earth. The second, though, is this, having determined allotted times and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Uh, the NIV says the exact place that they will live. In other words, Paul then narrows it down and he says, listen, every one of you is not here by accident. You are in the exact place that God in all eternity has determined that you would be and that you would live. The boundaries of your life and the exact time that you would live have been determined by God. And the big picture of all of that is in order that you might seek God and perhaps might find him because he is not far from each of us, and in him we live and move and have our being. Abraham Cooper put it this way, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. And so the real big picture is every one of us is exactly where God wanted us to be in the exact time. The second scripture is from Jeremiah 29, 4-7. And it is, uh, a familiar passage of Scripture. It's written to exiles that God has sent into exile. Again, God is sovereign, and God determines where we live in the situation we find ourselves. And so it says, Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat the produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, 
Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So again, there's this general truth that wherever we find ourselves, however we have found ourselves there, God has sent us there. And rather than throw up our hands in despair, we are to do our best to make the best of a bad situation, if we want to put it that way, or we are to bloom where we are planted. A third general principle about all this is from Philippians chapter 2, 14. And it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst, in the midst of, not separated from, not in our holy huddles, but in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. It's just another general reminder to us that God has placed us in this world, that we are to thrive in this world, that we are to be joyful in this world, that we are to bloom where we are planted, that we are to pray for the situation in which we find ourselves. And so this is what the Corinthians were wrestling with then. They were wrestling with the fact that they were in Corinth. And we've talked a lot about what Corinth was like, what the city was like, how evil it was, how sinful it was, how many temptations there were. The fact that many of those in the church in Corinth had recently been called out of that world. And so they're naturally asking questions along the lines of, can I flourish in Corinth? Can I bloom where God has planted me in this city? Can I flourish if I am single? Can I flourish if I am married? Can I flourish if the circumstances of my life change and I still find myself in Corinth? And Paul's response to them is very straightforward, and it comes out of this text. He says, God knew where you were when he called you. God knew who you were when he called you. God knew the state you were in when he called you. And so he says, only then let each person lead the life that God has assigned him and to which God has called him. In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain. In other words, Paul is encouraging steadfastness. Paul is encouraging um, bloom where you are planted. If you are single, embrace it. If you are married, commit yourself to it. If you are become a Christian and your partner doesn't, pray for them and live for God. If you are single, don't think that marriage will solve all your problems. Serve God in your singleness. If you are married, don't think that God has called you to become single. In other words, remain in the situation in which you were called. And Paul is going to drive two principles home to us about that. He says, your outward circumstances aren't what matters. He says, what's going on inside of you does. And so he'll say, what matters is obedience. In whatever situation you find yourself, in whatever circumstance you find yourself, obey the Lord. And we'll come back to that. It's in, uh, I think it's in verse 19 there. Um, but keeping the commandments of God is what counts. And the second principle is fellowship. God is with you. That's in the last verse, in verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. That's what Paul tells us to do as we find ourselves in these circumstances, in these situations which outwardly appear difficult. Paul says, listen, what matters is that you obey God. What matters is that you are there with God. Two incredible things for us to put into our hearts and minds. And so the principle that Paul lays down for them and for us is lead the life which God has assigned you. Don't fight against God. Don't try and change what God has 
ordained in your life. And in whatever condition you have been called, there let him remain with God. So this is the last point of my sermon from last week, and it's what we'll spend our time with today. The purpose of our salvation, or the abiding rule, is flourish where we are called. That's what Paul is driving at as he's continuing to respond to these uh, to the Corinthians. Chapter, or verse 17 might seem like a real switch because Paul has been talking about marriage, singleness, for the first 16 verses of this chapter. And we pick up in verse 25 to verse 40, and he will continue to talk about marriage. And so some look at this verses 17 to 24 and say, that's just out of nowhere. Uh, where did that come from? And I will make the point, I hope, that what Paul is doing, what God wants us to know is that this passage of Scripture is intimately tied to what has come before and will what come after it. Remember, Paul is responding to a letter that he has received from the Corinthians. That's part of what we're dealing with here. Their question to them is, or their statement to them is, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And so out of that comment is a lot of issues that, that revolve around, well, what happens when I become a Christian? Do I, do I just squash my sexual passion? Do I give up marriage or do I... Do I stay um, celibate in my marriage? Is singleness best? Is marriage best? And so Paul is wrestling with all of these questions about what it means to become a Christian out of this kind of environment. And Paul's response to them now is contained in an illustration in verses 17 to 24 where his general truth to them, his principle, is trust God. He knows where you live. He knows your circumstances. He has called you to faith in those circumstances to live for him. He has called you, so be content to remain where God has called you. <clears throat> At the heart of this is something that probably many of us don't struggle with as we should, but we maybe struggled with when we first became a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's simply this, what are the implications of becoming a Christian? How does my world change when I become a follower of Jesus Christ? What happens? How does my life change? How will it impact my marriage? What about um, uh, my, my passions? Is it better to re remain single or to get married or to leave a marriage? Does my faith impact my marriage? Does my faith impact my relationships? What if I'm married to an unbeliever? Does faith influence my choice of who I marry or whether I remain single? And then there are broader implications that should I quit my job? Should I reverse my ethnicity? Should I change my social status? Um, how am I to live in this city that God has called me out of? There's a lot of questions that, that flood our mind when we first become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I believe those are questions that we should continue to ask ourselves as we grow and mature in the faith. What changes when we become a Christian? That's a significant question. I don't know if I've ever really thought of that too closely, and Paul is driving us to think about it. On one hand, I hope we understand everything changes. Did you know that? When you become a Christian, everything changes. It's not just a subtle shift in our life. It's a whole upside-down worldview change. We move from uh, darkness to light. We are transferred from the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God. We are alive. We are no longer dead in our sins and trespasses. We are free. We are no longer captive to sin. We are clean, no longer polluted by our sin. We are forgiven, no longer condemned by God for our sin. We live in Christ and for Christ, no longer for ourselves. 
We are made new. We are born again. We are recipients of a new life. This is an incredible change. This is, this is a, a momentous change of uh, portions that nothing else in our life will change us. And I would add in that that our attitude towards sin is reversed. We don't live in it. We don't live for it. We don't live with it. We don't dabble in it. We don't try and cage it. We don't pursue it. It is no longer to reign in our mortal bodies so that we can obey its lusts or its dictates. We have a radical new relationship with sin. On the other hand, nothing changes. We remain where we are. We keep the same job. We stay in the same city. We stay in the same relationship. We go to the same school. We have the same neighborhood. This is what Paul is saying. Uh, on the one hand, everything changes. On the other hand, nothing changes. Lead the life that the Lord has assigned you. So again, this is what some were thinking in Corinth in response to the salvation. They had concluded that their external circumstances were incompatible with living for Jesus Christ. And so they had in their head, okay, everything has to change now. Paul responds to that impulsive tendency with a simple principle, an abiding principle in whatever condition each was called, let him there remain with God. You see, the circumstances of life, marriage, race, slavery are as the Lord has assigned them and as the Lord has called. Therefore, let each person continue to live in the circumstances where the call of God came to you when you turned your life over to Christ. In other words, stay where you are. Stay in the circumstances you are. God knows where you are. God knows what you are. And God knows where he called you from. You might think, well, does these, do these words apply to me? These are very personal words. I, I, I often find, you know, after a, a message, somebody will come to me and, and they would say, well, I wish so-and-so were in the service today. Or I, I'm going to send this tape for so-and-so. And it's like often we listen to a message for somebody else. We don't always listen for ourselves. And, okay, what is the Word of God saying to me today? And I want to encourage you, if you're here today, to listen for yourself. To take out of your head anybody else that you're thinking about and say, okay, how does this apply to me? And Paul is very clear about this because he says, he, he takes it out of the person. He says, let each person... That applies to every single one of us here. Let each person lead the life that God has assigned him. That applies to every one of us. You live a life that's different from mine. Your circumstances are different from mine. God has placed you in an area, in a, in a, in a position, in a marriage or single that he hasn't placed me in. So let you live the life that God has assigned you. And in verse 24, in whatever condition each was called, every one of us uniquely, each was called, there let him remain with God. Loved ones, if God knows all your thoughts before you think them, and he does, if God knows all your ways before you walk in them, and he does, if God created your inward parts and knit you together in your mother's womb, and he did, if God knows all your days and he's recorded them in a book, and he has, then surely God knew the circumstances of your life when he called you out of darkness into life. And so there's two significant words here that are 
Paul is using that, that we need to fix our minds on. They are remain and called. And if you underline these words, I encourage you to think about that. Verse 8, verse 11, verse 20, verse 24, verse 26, and verse 40. All of them have the word remain in there. Paul is wanting us to grasp a significant truth there. It ties the section together. Remain is the theme of verses 8 to 17. It's also the theme of verses 17 to 24. The principle Paul is giving to them is summarized in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life God has assigned him. It's reiterated in verse 20. Each person should remain in the condition which he is called. And it's restated in verse 24. So then, brothers, whatever condition Christ each was called, there let him remain. It's pretty clear. Paul wants us to get that in our heads. Remain. 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 Seven or eight times in this text, remain. These three statements in our text, at least, these these references to remain are like a clubhouse sandwich. There's a piece of bread and then something and then another piece of bread and then something and another piece of bread. So we have remain on the top and then in the middle he's going to use this illustration, circumcision or uncircumcision, then another hunk of bread. And then he has next slave or free and then another hunk of bread. They tie everything together. So remain is a critical word. The second is called. I don't know if you noted when Harvey read that, called is used eight times in these verses from verses 17 to 24. That should be a clue to us that, that, that Paul is trying to drive home a point as he's writing to the Corinthians. It starts in verse 17. Lead the life to which the Lord has assigned. Let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And then verse 24. And in whatever condition each was called, it's a really, really important word. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a phrase, I don't know if you ever remember the song we used to sing, I'm Forever Grateful. You did not wait for me um, to draw near to you, but you let me hear your voice calling me. This is a very direct reference to the uh, effectual call of God in our salvation. Paul used it back in verse 9 of Corinthians where he says God who is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son it's this amazing effectual call of God that comes to us through the gospel about Jesus Christ sometimes we use the word calling to refer to our vocation um, you're called to be a custodian or you're called to be a doctor or you're called to be a homemaker or you're called to be a nurse or whatever it might be we use it for a vocation it's only used that way once in these verses, in verse 20. Every other time it's used, the other seven times it's used, it's a reference to our calling to Jesus Christ, our salvation in Jesus Christ. It's this call to salvation that Paul is emphasizing here again. So it's about what it means to become a Christian. It's the call of God which puts us into uh, this believing, loving fellowship with Jesus, and it's a powerful and an effective call that draws us to his son. In verse uh, 23 and 24 of chapter 1 in Corinthians, Paul says, We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both to Jews and to Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The call, the called are not everyone who hear preaching. In fact, today, everyone here today 
will hear the call of God. And you've already heard about God's work in, in song, and you'll hear about it in the gospel in a couple. Every one of us is hearing the call, but not every one of us will hear and respond to the call of God to salvation. And so we can paraphrase these verses this way between this general call and this effective call. Paul says, we call everyone to believe in Christ crucified. But many Jews find this call to be a stumbling block, and many Gentiles find this call to be foolishness. But to those who are called that is powerful and powerfully and effectively drawn to Christ, find the gospel call to be the power of and the wisdom of God. And so again, what Paul is saying in this passage to us, what he's wanting us to understand is that we should remain and live with God in the state from which we were called. Remain in the state you were in when you were converted, when you were brought to Jesus Christ, when you were drawn by God into a believing, loving relationship and fellowship with his son. This is, I find, very uh, just encouraging. The overall focus is on the sovereignty of God, and I, I want us to just have that in our heads. God is aware of our circumstances. He knows where we live. He knows what we're walking through. And so when he calls us to faith in Christ, he calls us in all of those situations. It's an amazing thing to think about the beauty and the expansiveness and the intrusive nature of the saving call of God in the life of men and women, boys and girls. It has a penetrating reach, this call of God. It would be fascinating to go around the room if we had time today and just ask every person to briefly tell us, where were you, what were you doing, what were the circumstances of your life when God called you to faith in Jesus Christ? I, I bet you we would be just surprised and amazed at the, the reach of the gospel, how it impacted and reached into our lives in the darkness and in the sin and in the domain of Satan, and, and God's call reached us in that. Some of us were married, some single, some young, some old, some American, some Canadian, some Russian, some Dutch, some rich, some poor, some on the right side of the tracks, some on the wrong side of the tracks, every one of us in darkness, but the call of God came to us. The gospel can reach anybody in any society, in any relationship, in any part of the world. There is no boundaries. There are no requirements to be met. All one has to do is to hear the gospel, and when they hear the gospel, the effectual call of God comes to them, and they put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's an extraordinary reality about the gospel. And it should give us great hope as we pray for our family, as we think about our community, as we think about our nature. There are no boundaries to the effectual saving call of God. And we see that here in this gospel to the Corinthians. And I want us to also understand you know, I hope, that it is not easier to be a Christian in one place or another. It is not easier to be a Christian um, uh, whether you're single or you're married. It is not easier to be a Christian in one state or another. Sometimes you think, well, I could really serve God if I was there. Or if I wasn't here, I could really serve God. It's sort of the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. It's a bunch of hogwash. It's not. And God gives us the strength and the energy and the resources to live for Him where he has called us. And this again is what Paul is wanting to remind these Corinthians about as they're asking him questions. What changes when I become a Christian? Paul says everything and nothing. And then he gives these two illustrations. 
And you, you might think, well, these are out of the blue. Well, they're not. They're illustrations that help them wrestle with their questions about relationships. And the first one he talks is about is circumcision and uncircumcision. And they illustrate that no earthly status, such as one's racial heritage or societal standing, are incompatible with the saving call of God. In other words, one does not better serve God by leaving this or abandoning that or by going there. One does not better serve God by being circumcised or by, by, by being uncircumcised, by being slave or by being free. Some, someone, and they, they, they've got this history, records this back in the first century, that some who had been circumcised were seeking to reverse that for various reasons, but they, they, they had this belief that if I was uncircumcised, I could better serve God. And others who were or uncircumcised were thinking in their heads, well, if I become circumcised, then I can better serve God. And Paul is saying, listen, don't do it for spiritual reasons. It's of no value to God whether one is circumcised or uncircumcised. If you're converted as a Gentile, don't try and become a Jew. If you're converted as a Jew, don't try and become a Gentile. Remain in the situation in which God has called you. What he is saying is that more important than any cultural or cultural adaptation is obedience to God. That's what matters in life. It doesn't matter um, what, what ethnicity, ethnicity you are. What matters is that you obey God and you keep His commandments. Don't make a big deal of your external circumstances. Make a big deal of obedience. Make, a big, make the whole aim of your life to be obedient to God wherever and whatever you are. The only thing that matters to God is obedience to His commandments. See, the wonderful thing about this is obedience is not external, it's internal, right? Obedience is not shaped by what's outside of us. Obedience comes from what's inside of us. We can be obedient in any and every circumstance we find ourselves. There is no circumstance that can make us be disobedient. We, we think of Daniel. We think of Joseph. We, we, we think of many of the, the passages of Scripture which, which remind us that in whatever circumstance you find yourself, even those, those external circumstances may press us to disobedience, Obedience comes from the heart, and therefore it is not dictated by external realities. So Paul is saying, stay where you are. Stay in the relationship you are. If you're single, stay single. If you're married, stay married. If, if you become a Christian and, you're, and your uh, spouse doesn't, stay in the marriage. Remain where you are. What matters is obedience, not whether you're married or single. What matters is not the state that we live in, but how we live in it. And then Paul jumps ahead to slavery in verses 21 to 24 there. His point is that if a person is a slave, he is still able to live as a Christian. I think what we need to understand is as Paul is talking about this, he's not suggesting that slavery is, is as good as freedom, nor is he saying that slavery is an acceptable part of human life. In other words, he's saying sometimes the circumstances of our life might be less than ideal. His point, though, is that if a person is a slave, if the circumstances of your life are less than ideal, you are still able to live as a Christian. You are still able to live and to serve God. Obedience is not tied to slavery or freebie, so don't 
don't let your slavery, he says, make you anxious. Instead, serve God fully in those circumstances. But he does say, if you're able to become free, do that. We've seen exception after exception in, in, in verses 1 to 7. Paul is laying out principles, not the law of the Medes and Persians, which can't be changed. He's saying there are opportunities for change. There are opportunities to alter your circumstances. But, but they don't make it easier or less easy to obey God and to serve God. That's why Paul reminds them in the end of the day that they've been bought with a price, which is nothing less than the blood of Jesus Christ. So what Paul is wanting them and us to understand and this is really important and helpful for us, is that no condition that we find ourselves in should present an impossible obstacle to living the Christian life. Since the Christian's life is defined by God's call to us, not by the circumstances around us. Again, Paul is saying to them, he knew where you were when he called you. He knew the circumstances of your life when he called you. He knew if you were single when he called you. He knew if you were married when he called you. This is not an argument that you have to stay where you are. But the significant truth is that you must serve God where you are and do so with the insurance that God is with you. Again, Paul is not saying that you must not change your situation. He is saying that you do not have to change your situation to live for Christ. So flourish. Flourish in whatever situation God has called you. Trust. Trust in God's assignment for your life. Be content to remain where you are. Just very quickly then. To draw it all together. Why? Why remain? Why stay where we are? Well, one, simply because that's what God's word says to us. I don't have any other advice. He says, remain where you are. In whatever situation God has called you and assigned you, remain there. It's a reminder and an encouragement to us to embrace the sovereignty of God, to embrace, embrace the providence of God, Put our trust in God and know that God does all things well. I wanted to say a whole lot, but we don't have time today about contentment. Learning to be content in whatever situation we find ourselves. Secondly, why stay where we are? Why remain as God has called us? Because by remaining, you become salt and light to people and places that may not have light. I was thinking about this, the man from uh, Gerizim, remember he had all these demons in him and Jesus cast the demons out and sent them into pigs and they all went over, over the edge and uh, <coughs> the man from whom the demons had gone begged as Jesus was getting in the boat to go across the, the, the water and back to uh, Israel. The man who the demons had gone begged that he might be with him but Jesus sent him away saying return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. That's the principle. Remain in whatever condition you were called. You see, uh, it's through our changed life that people will come to see 
and know Jesus Christ. It's through our presence in a particular place or in a particular relationship that people will come to know Jesus Christ. When they see who you were before and they see who you are after, the change is stark. The change is different. If we all leave those situations, how do we not know that maybe God has placed us in that situation and saved us out of that situation so we can shed the light of the gospel to that situation? And if we all evacuate our relationships and our neighborhoods and our jobs and our callings to go to some holy huddle or go to some better place because we think we can serve God there, then who is left to give testimony to the power of the gospel in the place in which God had originally called us? That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians there. And three, remember you're not alone. Let him there remain with God. Conversion is not a signal for us to leave our social situation, our marriage, our single lifestyle, our human master, or other circumstances. To be sure, if it's a sinful situation out of which we've been called, we ought to get out of it. But otherwise, we're to stay there until God moves us. And to think about the fact that you are not there alone. You know that when God calls you and God saves you, something extraordinary happens. His Spirit comes to live And when His Spirit comes to live in you, His presence is with you. And so you might feel alone. You might be the only Christian in that environment or that circumstance. You you might feel in your singleness alone. You might feel in your marriage alone. But God assures us once again that you stay there with God. And it's an incredible thing to know that, um, that you are never alone, really. Because God said, what? I will never leave you or forsake you. So again, in all these situations, and Paul is coming back to the Corinthians as they're wrestling with what does it mean to be a Christian, what changes in my life, Paul says really to them, what matters the most is that you obey God and that you walk with God. What matters in life and eternal life is staying close to God and enjoying His presence and the assurance of His presence. So may God help us to trust in God to bloom where we have been planted, and to flourish where we have been called.